0: Welcome to episode two of the Politics and Bros podcast, where Howell and I will be talking about the deep state and why Donald Trump is so upset about it. We also talk a little bit about the Kentucky and Virginia elections that happened this week. We hope you enjoy it. Thanks for stopping by. This episode of the Politics and Bros podcast is brought to you by Carl and James Surf Shop. Come find us on the Strand in Las Playas, California, where there's warm sun, beautiful women, and the air is just right for drinking. Hello, hello.
1: Hey, what, hey, what's up? I'm just playing the air drums. Go into the casino. What's the worst that could happen?
0: <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> oh,
1: well, whatever.
0: <laughs> <sighs>
1: same, same concept.
0: So this is episode number two. I feel like we got some yes. good, uh, our first episode was was well received by friends and family. <laughs>
1: You can count them on one hand.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We're going to go for, we're going to go for a much broader audience at some point, I think. Yes. So, you know, we attempted to do this in the last one where, uh, and you know, it it was an inelegant recording only because we were kind of screwing around, kind of experimenting, you know, mixture of being serious and and not being serious, but um, we're doing this and we really haven't talked about who we are and why we're, Mm -hmm. why we are doing this. Um, Right. So I think um, you know you gave a good bat. You gave a good kind of primer the last time around. And two two people who believe in nuance and context when it comes to arguing and arguing for policy and political reasons. Mm-hmm. Two people who are patriots, never Trumpers, who believe in the in our country and our political process and don't want to see it screwed up any more than it already is. But um, well,
1: yeah, and we we've, we've both been participants and active members of of this great experiment, you know, and have seen it from the inside and seen what it can do. And I don't know, just find an outlet for our passion and kind of share it with all of our loyal listeners. So, yeah. Um, well,
0: tell me your background. Tell me about you. How did you, how did you arrive okay. at this place, yes. Mr. Yes. Howell Winters?
1: So, not to go on a long rant about myself, but just so people kind of understand where I'm coming from. Um, for the sake of this podcast, I have, um, 15 years experience, nearly 15 years experience in the executive branch. I was, uh, I went to graduate school in U.S. foreign, got my degree in U.S. foreign policy. And then I, um, entered the executive branch and I worked in national security for nearly 15 years. And, um, the, the, the point is really that, I've worked with multiple agencies within the uh, executive branch. I've worked with the Department of State. I've worked with the intelligence community. I've worked with DOJ, FBI. I've worked with the Department of Energy. I've worked with even the Department of Commerce. Um, I am very familiar with the types of people that work in the executive branch, how it functions. And I think there's a lot of misnomers about how these things work. And, you know, I just want to. Be able to share sort of that experience in layman's terms with folks and add it to sort of how how it colors what I see going on today. So that is kind of the perspective I come for come to this podcast with. Um, so what about you? What 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 is your sort of uh, expertise that you can offer offer our loyal listeners?
0: Twelve years working in the halls of the United States Congress for three senators and a congressman, not all at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. people who I would have, I, I mean, most of them I would, I would consider absolute patriots, but you know, clearly a couple of them have disappointed me in the age of Trump. But, um, I think the person who shaped my viewpoint of service in when you serve the country and serve something greater than yourself is when I, you know, my first job was for Senator John McCain and, um, mm-hmm. a man, Who rest in peace, peace, a man who I think a lot of people, especially Republicans nowadays, people who call themselves Republicans or conservatives like to kind of crap all over him for being a rhino or uh, I still don't even necessarily understand what that term means anymore. But, um, yeah, you know, but 12, that kind of
1: goes back to what I was talking about in last episode where, you know, people don't really know what conservative means.
0: Right. Right. So,
1: yeah. But anyway, sorry. No, Continue.
0: it's fine. And then, uh, but you know, that was, that was my first job out of college. He gave me my first job out of college. He was, he was who I was working for on 9-11, uh, in his office in yep. DC. And, you know, he gave me my start. And
1: you, you have, you have participated and written legislation that has been, has, I don't I actually don't know. Have you ever written legislation that's been
0: enacted? law? I have actually as crazy as I okay. might sound.
1: I mean, that's, that's pretty
0: cool. As a 20, I think when the first time that, when that happened to me, I think I was 24, <laughs> a, little, okay. a little scary, but that's not uncommon. <laughs> um, but, um, See,
1: I think we're going to tell people things that they don't—they w- won't want to. Go, yeah, they won't want you to know. know that.
0: A bunch of twenty-four-year-olds. No wonder <laughs> our country is all screwed up. Right, we got twenty-four-year-olds right. just writing laws. laws. Sleep tight, America. Right. but you know, there's the yeah. process. You know, the thing—the thing that I kind of want to bring to this is the—is the process by which Congress arrives at at policy and, and politics and that intersection and and how it all works. And right mm-hmm. now, it's completely out of whack. And there's always there's always an element of politics to what Congress does because that's just what they do. Right. You've got house members running for a re-election every two years, senators every six years. And, you know, everything is based on polls and everything is based on, you know, some level of populism, but there was a time where populism wasn't weighted as much as it is now. And, right. you know, that it's dangerous to have populism weigh so much in, in, in a Republic. It just, yeah. it skews the reality of, 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 of the citizen of citizens and and what we're supposed to be doing and how we're supposed to be doing it. Um, you're supposed to have cooler heads. That's why you elect, that's why you elect people to serve, you know, in your name in the halls of Congress so they can make measured deliberative decisions Mm -hmm. and not just do everything based on because they saw a poll showing some issue. It was at 75%. So, Oh, well maybe we need to do that, but
1: hopefully you can use that experience to to translate some of this, Craziness that's going on for, for me and, and everyone else. Absolutely. So so, yeah. So, I mean, I think after introducing ourselves, giving a little bit about where, where we came from and why we're doing this. Um, we wanted to, uh, dive into this, this week's discussion. Um, and I think first we're going to start with a, with a, uh, what are we calling it? Today's news,
0: news of the day, today's news, whatever you want to call it, news
1: of the day. Okay. Well, I mean, I feel like, um, you could almost call this news of the the minute these days. But, um, what did you have to to raise or discuss for for today?
0: Well, I was going to talk about um the elections from yesterday. We had uh, some pretty big states, um, Trump country and non non Trump country states have elections for, you know, uh, one state had a governor and the other one, it was mostly the state house and state senates that were, that were in play. Um, but obviously the big one is Kentucky where Trump won by 30 points Mm -hmm. in 2016, governor Matt Bevin was up for reelection. Um, he kind of rode in clearly, obviously it was two years before Trump, but he kind of rode in during this time of kind of populism as it was starting to really kind of take flight, Uh, in those midterm elections in 2014 or 2015, and he got his butt kicked. He didn't get his butt kicked. That's not true. I think the last time I saw last total, I saw he was, he was, he lost by 10,000 votes or he's losing by 10,000 votes. I don't think he's actually conceded yet. He got
1: his butt kicked because he's in a state that went for Trump by 30
0: points. Right. Right.
1: And, uh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, the fact that he was even competitive in this, um, this climate says a lot in itself. And he lost to
0: Andy Bashir, the son of the former governor Steve Bashir, who is a very close personal friend of yours, I I learned.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh proud proud Vanderbilt commodore alum. Yes, he is. Um we went to school together. Um and uh He was the attorney general yeah, of the state I mean, yeah,
0: of the commonwealth.
1: He was and, you know, always nice to see a uh, a Commodore succeed, so regardless of party affiliation. So, you know, big ups to you, Andy, Governor Andy. Um, yeah, I mean, so that was big news. Um, I think we were talking earlier today. Um, you think that, uh, as far as politically, um, perhaps the media is making a bigger deal out of this than, um, than, it should be made. Um, do you want to expound well, on that a little bit? Well, it's
0: not, it's, you know, it's not even, yeah, I think there was a, there was a lot of debate, especially over the last couple last couple of weeks rather with the impeachment process really kind of taking, taking heat or, you know, heating up in in, in DC, Andy Bevan may, or sorry, uh, Matt Bevan made it a part of his campaign that, you know, we have to, we have to win the governor's mansion to somehow stop, Trump's impeachment and he kind of tied his election to Trump's impeachment because Trump won by 30 yeah, points and he was trying sense. to, he was trying to cloak himself in in the world of Trump's to remind people that they love Trump so much, I guess. Um, right. So there's been a little, I feel like there's been a that, little that bit.
1: Us first, them, what? us first, them, you know, sort of, he's trying to tap into that us first them. Right ethos i think yeah yeah
0: and i think that there was a there was a a lot of movement in the media to try and and say well this was definitely some sort of referendum on on trump in in 2019 ahead you know a year out from from his re-election or from the 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 election in 2020 Mm -hmm. and i i take issue with that i think I, i kind of feel like a lot of people are taking issue with it because at the end of the day he was the most unpopular governor in the country he had angered large constituencies throughout the Commonwealth of Kentucky from teachers to seniors, to anybody who benefited from the expansion of the Medicaid Medicaid, law, um, uh, which governor Steve Beshear, his, his predecessor had done. He was rolling back some of those, you know, a lot of ads run on him
1: said he will, he will roll that back. Yeah. As soon as he gets in.
0: Right. Right. So in, so, I think, I think really it had a lot to do with that because for all the other constitutional offices uh, at the state level in Kentucky, Republicans swept. Um, even Andy's old office of attorney general, we now have the first um, African American um, to be elected attorney general in, in Kentucky, and, and mm-hmm. he's a Republican. So, um, we're yeah. really glad to see that. But um, I think you the, and I were talking about this earlier. The I think, Grand Old
1: Party. What's that? The Grand, the old, grand party.
0: old Party. Well, I think yeah. I, I was talking. I actually was doing a little Facebook message with my old political science professor, and he was kind of asking what I thought. And I said, "Well, really, the the, the barometer for our, this election that if you want to tie to Trump is definitely Virginia. Um Governor. Yeah. The governor wasn't up for reelection, but it obviously a very closely divided state house and senate." Um, Republican controlled both chambers. Uh, one, you know, the House was controlled or the Senate was controlled by one seat. The House was 50-50 and it was judged by a coin toss, um, two years ago. And that's how the Republicans maintain their majority in right. Virginia. <laughs>
1: I remember that.
0: If there was any question of whether or not that state was blue, um, this is not my original thought. I wish it was, but, um, a friend of mine on Twitter pointed out that Virginia is a state where it saw its governor embroiled in a blackface controversy. Its African American lieutenant governor get caught up in a sexual assault or sexual harassment. I can't remember which one it was. uh, Accusation accusation scandal. Um, and then obviously they, there was the bill that Passed in Virginia um, on post birth abortion and some of the yeah. comments from progressives on that, which were not good at all, at least in my opinion. Uh, I'm not a die, I'm not a crazy pro lifer, but you know, even I think even pro choice people kind of cringed at some of the statements that were said. And I, I don't have any examples, but I'm sure people can look it up if they want to. Yeah. But anyway, that's yeah. besides the point. The, the point is that even with all of that, Democrats have taken the house they've taken the Senate in Virginia and you know, right. It it feels, it seems like that there's no stopping them. Now, you and I discussed this earlier that a lot of that has to do with the expansion of the population in Northern Virginia, which obviously is Washington DC. Right. So that has a lot to do with it, but really I think Virginia is kind of going to be serve as that sort of barometer for what's going to happen. What could happen to, to Trump in, in 2020.
1: The big takeaway is that it was a good, it was a good night for for Democrats. Yes, um, I agree. Overall, you know, things trending. There's areas that have traditionally been Republican or or you know even purple that are now full on blue, and that should worry worry the GOP as they look towards next year and and perhaps even beyond because. You know and and what they're going to do strategically to, to sort of battle against that and i think some of that does go back to kind of that um i made the joke about the grand old party and the big tent but like you know um i think that tent is increasingly getting smaller based on what i've seen from the current um gop and that i don't think it gets larger the way they're going uh and yeah, so I think overall they, they it, it should should um spur some some thinking, but given who the leader of the party is, uh I wouldn't think I wouldn't expect much. So um other news of the day, uh the house will hold begin its public impeachment hearings next week. Um I think this is a pretty big development because not only will like it kind of be a spectacle, but I also think it's going to really um, start to force the, the the Republicans' hands because all of this um, that they've been complaining about process, they'll get the chance to publicly question these um, these people who are stepping forth who are testifying. Um, and we'll get to see kind of what their strategy is to, uh, really, um, combat or push back against the claims of impropriety by the administration with regards to, uh, you know, um, funding, fund, Ukraine funding and such. So I think that's a pretty big deal. Um,
0: well, uh, it's pretty, it's, uh, it's funny too, uh, because, uh, yeah. Intentionally or unintentionally, the, dem- the Democrats have taken away a big talking point from the Republicans. I mean, through the whole process, the Republicans were talking about how this was all closed door and there was no due process and there was mm-hmm. no public, um, you know, visibility to what they were doing. And now they're doing that, but the Republicans are still holding on to this is an unfair process <laughs> argument. Right, right. And it's just, it's, <laughs> it's batty to me. I mean, yeah. it, impeachment proceedings are, you know, not necessarily not the most common of, of things to happen. Uh, obviously. Right. So, you know, I, I can't remember in 98, how this all went down. I was in college and, yeah. and kind of paying attention to this. Um, you know, it, right. it just seemed like a big circus, but it, you know, that talking point has been taken away from them. So it'll be interesting to see how they wade their way through it now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So stay tuned, I guess. We'll, we'll see what happens there. So.
0: Stay tuned. Indeed. Yep. Indeed.
1: Uh, so I think, we had talked earlier, one of the things we wanted to do was kind of pick a, uh, a topic or something to discuss each week, maybe a little bit, uh, John Oliver style where he, you know, he addresses some, you know, not, not with all the uh, crazy British humor, but, um, with, uh, what you're known just for, so we can kind of right, exactly my, my, um, Mr. Bean type humor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, I, but you know, I think one thing we don't want to do is kind of be the like Pod Save America sort of smarmyish, uh, no. uh, you know, talk down to to people. No, thank and you. We just want to have a discussion about you know things that are concerning to us that we see going on. And so absolutely, this week, I I chose to discuss. Dun, 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 the deep state.
0: I love the deep um, state going deep yeah, in the deep state. So
1: I, you know, the, it, the deep state conversation is just batty to me. I mean, um, not only is it just crazy, I think it's really, really dangerous. Mm-hmm. And I think it devalues important institutions to America that, that are, we rely on to function yeah. as a democracy. Um, so I thought, I was trying to think of ways that, um, we could discuss it in a way that kind of makes it tangible and isn't just this like, uh, you know, this crazy conspiracy mm-hmm. theory. Um, and so essentially, you know, the deep state argues that there are a handful or probably more than a handful, I guess. Really, if you were going to be logically looking at this, of embedded bureaucrats who are um, there to to uh, subvert the the agenda of the administration. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to say how crazy that is, because having been, as I said previously, having been in agencies and seeing mm-hmm. what it takes just to do some of the most basic functions right um, like the I, I I so just to like open a new file for a program that we were going to start running like maybe a some sort of nationally national security sensitive program required like 42 signatures it took like four weeks right before you could just even start writing about this program so the idea that like there are people who can just like snap their fingers and make decisions about and 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 have a group of people execute some sort of vast undermining of the administration to me it's just it's so out there like i i I wish i could think of a really good example of Something that would just show people um, how unrealistic that is, um, and I just think that it's it's crazy that we're into conspiracy theories at yeah. this point, and it's it's really dangerous. Um, I want to touch on uh, you know kind of this idea of politicizing bureaucrats, but did you have anything to add well, at this well, point?
0: I just wanted to kind of back it back it up. I mean, this isn't yeah, sure. this has not been unique to 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 Trump. I mean, every president, at least in our lifetime, um, no, has had issues with bureaucrats at, he, at agencies.
1: And there's never been a, there's never been a, an executive who feeds into this.
0: Right, right. I mean. Reagan used, you know, bureaucrats and, and stump speeches all the time about being the reason why that we were, you know, our economy was stuck during the Jimmy Carter administration, even at the beginning of the Reagan administration. Um, you know, H.W. Bush kind of continued that same mantra. Clinton all had issues. You know, they all do. George W. Bush did during the war on terror. I think even probably president Obama had issues, you know, as when it came to probably national security stuff. And he was put into positions by the DOD on, on certain things. The point is, is that bureaucrats are always, have always been there, have always created some sort of headache for the administration, but it's different now because Trump uses, uses that as to kind of feed into his followers and his disciples in you know, unfortunately in the GOP, these people who identify as Trump voters as a reason why things aren't getting done, but almost in a way that's, that's it, I don't want to say evil, but it kind of is evil at the end of the day. Um, and he's got saying, you've got people who are sabotages and whistleblowers are not whistleblowers. They're really spies. They're conducting espionage. And it's going so far that we don't even, it almost loses meaning. Now, In my opinion, the reason why he can't get a a handle on his bureaucracy is because he can't find political appointees to serve in his administration anymore because either he tweets about them that they're fired or – People just think he's so crazy and that they don't want to go work for him or deal with the headache of working for him. So he's losing members of his cabinet and losing members of his national security team, losing members of, you know, everybody in the agencies who should be looking out for his interests. But there are so many open positions in this administration for political appointees who are supposed to lead mm-hmm. the bureaucrats. And when you can't mm-hmm. find people when people and, and this is happening now, this didn't happen at the beginning, but, you know, as his administration has moved on and being as erratic as it is. You know, I have friends who were all at, at Health and Human Services and they're all gone and they're having trouble filling a lot mm-hmm. of those, those positions now. Um, yeah. so it, it, yeah, it, you know, it creates, and you know, also I want to add too that, that Trump has made a big part of his administration, you know, deregulation has kind of been his big thing and he's mm-hmm. done all this deregulation. Well, that's people's livelihoods too. You know, people who've been working at, you know, either on climate science or environment, you know, at the EPA Mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever, name your agency. They've been doing this thing for years and years and years. And now their work is being thrown into the trash bin on a whim. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, those might not be the best examples, but I'm sure there's other examples that we use. But with the deregulation, you're in, in in energy and oil and coal and all that stuff. People are, you know, these, these people who are working in the, in the bureaucracy of the federal government now have nothing to do. So I'm sure that adds, well, to, well, the, yeah, adds to the, to the anxiety.
1: Mean, I, I Yeah. I, you know, I, with regards to climate change, I mean, even that you can, I think you can deregulate and, and still, you know, have the ongoing employment of scientists mm-hmm. who continue to study um, sure. and just kind of tweak your regulations. I think what, what really bothers me, you know, is like, you know, the FBI is filled with deep state right. who are trying to to, you know, who – this is what I love. You know, they were there. They were trying to keep him from being elected. Right. They're this all-powerful cabal. But, oh, he got elected. So they're not too deep of a state. It's kind <laughs> of just like a, a shallow state um, who isn't who isn't uh, powerful enough to – to like they wanted him to, to not be elected, but they couldn't quite get it done. Um, or um, with the Mueller investigation. You know, he he's backed by a bunch of of, you know, eight, 13 angry Democrats who it's a witch hunt. But you know what? They're going to hu- they're going to hunt, but they're not going to find any crime at the end. So, you know, right. What the hell? You know, like um, the logic train just falls apart really quickly. And um, and I, I just think that if you if you understand how government works or how the, the executive branch works, that you would realize to pull off some of this stuff is virtually impossible because there are so many, um, checks in place within, uh, this, the administration or within each, each agency for, be it, be it regular channels, be it whistleblowing, be it legislative oversight that this stuff in a democracy gets exposed. Yeah. And. And there that does not exist um and so i I just think that the conversation is dangerous. I think it t- leads us down to places where like I, sh- I was talking to you today or maybe yesterday, how Steve Scalise, who is what number three in charge and rank in the in the house for the GOP he's number two, two. Three?
0: he's number two in the house GOP leadership yeah.
1: Calls, was it jo- Jovanovic? I don't know. It was someone who's testified, mm-hmm. who is a career State Department apolitical employee, who has worked there across many administrations. Right. Cause dismisses their testimony because they're an Obama holdover, mm-hmm. and when you start delegitimizing people's work. Because they served under an administration of another party, you're creating an extremely dangerous dangerous precedent.
0: Well, and it because I'm I'm sure Scalise too, but a lot of Republicans, most Republicans in Congress now, are saying you know they're they're parroting Trump's thing where he says uh, you know the the Democrats and their deep state cronies, quote unquote, and they want to overturn the election. And that's become a real theme Mm -hmm. among the rallies that we're seeing where, you know, they only want to do this impeachment because they're trying to undo an election of a duly duly elected president. Yeah. The will of the people, which of course is just Mm -hmm. horseshit and is not true. Um, But you know, the rhetoric out of the white house now being you know, having been parroted by geo peers and not only in the Congress, but also the voters starting to buy into this. And, you know, you're seeing it's it's weird, this whole conspiracy theory. I keep on thinking back to all the articles that I read in twenty fifteen and twenty sixteen that were showing up on Facebook from Breitbart News that were just craziness about the border and immigrants and poor people and, you know, they're the reason for all mm-hmm. the all the problems and the ills of the world and you know, adding these conspiracy theories about why, you know, Obama let all these people in because he knew this was going to happen. I think I, re- I remember reading a story like that on Breitbart once. It's, it, it blows, it just blows my mind. And now you've got with the whistleblowers, another is an interesting one too. Cause uh, I, you know, when I, my, my last job on Capitol Hill, I was a, I was a Republican staff director at, uh, on one of the subcommittees at the Senate Health, uh, Education, Labor and Pensions Committee. And I reported to Rand Paul. Of Kentucky, mm. and he is saying that the Sixth Amendment dictates that. He's
1: sure making a good impression, right? Oh, now. Oh,
0: absolutely. Oh, he—I I, I never thought I would see such a Russia apologist, a Trump apologist, come out of him. Just based on his general philosophy, that I actually agreed with a lot of what he did um, when he was when he was first ele- getting elected and first elected to the Senate, and but now it's just you want to be like, who the hell is this guy? But he was recently saying that. Uh, the Sixth Amendment dictates that uh, the whistleblower identifies himself so that Trump can confront his accuser. That's not how this works, and uh, and honestly, you I'm know. not I'm not a lawyer, but I'm pretty sure that's not how what that's not how the Sixth Amendment applies yeah, this is, in this situation. This is
1: not a court of law, <laughs> right? you know what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly.
0: it's, so, um, yeah. it's just it's it's These crazy stuff like that.
1: Of due process, or you know, like sure. If it gets to a, a, a trial, there's due process involved in the investigation. But when you're, when you're building your investigation, like, you know, um, there's, there's, there's different. I'm not a lawyer. Um, perhaps we can have a lawyer on sometime, but, um, there's differentiations of, for phases of, of legal proceedings. So, um, yeah, I, you know, if, if the whistleblower, the important thing about the whistleblower is that they recounted what happened factually or as close to factually as possible. Mm-hmm. And that is why they raised the concern. It has their party does not matter one bit if they're talking about the truth. Um. So. Yeah. So like the idea that at this point he needs to be. um. Uh, outed. Uh, it's, it's immaterial because, uh, because he is, the, 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 truth has come out from other investigation, investigative efforts. And so, you know, I think this individual, um, could really be in trouble if his name does get out there. Yeah. I would imagine he would receive death. Penalty. I agree. I don't know how serious yep. they, they might be, but. Um, Somebody
0: would try and publish his address and phone number within minutes of him being identified. And,
1: and And when you are in a country that takes its freedom as serious as it does and has a lot of armed people, when they're hearing that a deep state is trying to overthrow their elected government and it's, you know, this whistleblower is part of that. Someone's going to take up arms Mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm not saying that, that it would lead to this guy getting physically harmed, but it definitely increases the percent likelihood that it might happen and it's dangerous. And I think the conversations that are being had in public, um, are extremely, extremely dangerous for us as a nation.
0: Yeah. yeah, And I think yeah, a lot of this, it's, it's getting and a lot of it too, is the, um, this is happening on both sides where, you know, if somebody says the wrong thing online and they're conservative, the progressives and the, and the far left liberals are, are they're, they're doxing, they're trying, you know, and it's just, it's perpetuating on both sides. And it's, that's why, yeah. uh, yeah everything seems so divided and everything seems so broken and, and at no other, at no other time in the history of our country has it felt this bad, or at least to, to us, that's how it is. Cause we're living now, but it's gotten, it's It's just gotten scary.
1: Yeah. I mean, I wonder what people would have said, you know, living through like Vietnam yeah. or, or I don't know, like what did people think when, uh, Andrew Johnson was getting impeached. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> i mean i that's that's a question that runs through my mind daily It's like I'm joking. I don't really think about Andrew Johnson that often, only like once every three days
0: but apparently he he was he was but, the Donald Trump of his time
1: yeah, or, in, terms of, yeah. in terms of in
0: term in terms uh-huh. of his vitriol and his his rhetoric
1: Johnson was or Andrew Jackson was Johnson. Oh okay. Hmm. Cuz he was I, actually I impeachment two,
0: proceedings were brought against him.
1: Two, right, exactly. Yep. Two of Tennessee's finest right there. <laughs> um, so yeah. So you're anyway, so, you're so proud. I, I think I hope I yes, I hope uh I hope people enjoyed that. I I just think that that's a very important and that's going to last. These are the types of things that are going to last past the Trump administration. Like how do we get back from that? I think yeah. that's going to be something very very Interesting to watch.
0: Over the next, well, that goes to a good question. Is there is there some is there somebody on the Democratic side who can you know begin that healing process? You've got a lot of there's there. I think there's a lot of good candidates on the Democratic, and we kind of talked about this in the last podcast. But are any of them really healers? There's people. There are people like Warren and Sanders who want to transform. Government and transform our country in sort of a revolutionary way, and then there are those that want to take us like I'd say like Biden and Buttigieg and maybe even Kamala Harris could be part of that as well. About you know healing the country while still taking us forward, while still implementing an agenda and you know a progressive or a liberal agenda, but their their number one priority seems to be healing and. Trying mm-hmm. to bridge the divide between the the far yeah. you know the far right and the far left. So, do you think there? I mean, do you think there's anybody who can actually do that, or is that just, I, or is that just bullshit? I,
1: I think it takes. I think it takes two to tango, and you know, I don't know if someone like Buttigieg were to get get elected, would he just face nonstop attacks mm-hmm. from, you know. If 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 the Senate if McConnell holds on to the Senate, like you know, is he going to be like, I'm going to make this guy a uh one-term mm-hmm. gay president? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's fair. Find some sort of find some sort of thing to to hit him with, and mm-hmm. you know, I, I would hope that um that that we, you know, I think there's obviously elements of the Democratic Party that would not want to see any sort of compromise with with um, the GOP on anything. And, you know, that just leads to stalemate and nothing getting done. And frankly, it's it's why McConnell is having, has had some success past with his agenda, because he saw that and was able to just basically say, we're not going to pass legislation, but we're going to legislate from the bench. And, um, you know, I think People have to realize that if they want to get stuff done, there's a lot of viewpoints in this country and and you got to compromise. And I just don't know. I think there's a lot of wounds right now. And um, I would hope so. And I would hope conversations like this, you know, when we re- people are talking and realizing things are complicated uh, would help. But everyone's, you know, as you said, I think you said today, ring and run on Facebook mm-hmm. and, and, um, you know, ring that bell, get your likes, and then just, you know, run away and, um, and not engage. You no, know, I, and not engage. Cause that's right? the cowardly the thing best, to do is you know, to we, ring and run. Without engagement, you know, we, without a conversation, we're, it's, you know, we're not, we're not going to move forward. Right. So we,
0: we, we, we wither uh, and die.
1: Yeah. So anyway um so, deep state tie a bow on that so shall we finish with um our last little segment yeah right here?
0: this little thing we're going to call what am i into this week is that what we're calling it
1: that's right yeah we're introducing this this week um i think it's just a chance for us to have a little brevity at the end of uh i'm sorry levity not brevity but what's also could be, could, could have some brevity. Too. <laughs> um, uh, you know, we're talking about pretty serious stuff, um, yeah. that can get a little dark every, and so, you know, just kind of say, what are, what are you, what are you enjoying these days? Um, so I will start. Yeah. Kick it off. Uh, Pete, you, Pete, you know what I'm enjoying these days?
0: What What is that? Howell?
1: I'm enjoying being a, Fan of a World Series champion Washington Nationals. <laughs> oh, thank thank you very much.
0: Oh, of course, go Nats. Go
1: Nationals. Yes, uh, I suffered for many, 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 many. Yes, years. you did.
0: You Being did a Nationals
1: fan. 15, 15 years. <laughs> that that goes over real well here in Chicago, where I say that I'm a long suffering fan. Um, but yeah, it was fun to watch that team go through the World Series. Um, kind of magical run there. They were having fun in the dugout and really likable team. It was,
0: it was impressive. I wish they could have gotten a, a, one of the world series wins in DC. And I, I cheer. I I definitely, I cheered for the Nats when I lived there. I mean, I, I lived in DC from 2000, yeah. you know, basically 2000 to 2017 uh, with a three yeah. years, three or four year stint in Chicago, somewhere between that before we moved back. But you know, I was at the first game at RFK in 2005 against the Diamondbacks. It was a win for the Nats. You know, I I mm-hmm. wore my Nationals hat. I was I'm still a diehard Braves fan and always will be since I'm from Atlanta. But mm-hmm. it was I was happy if it couldn't have been the Braves who obviously lost it in their playoff games against the the Cardinals. But I'm yeah. happy that it was another yep. National League East team, and I'm happy it was the Nationals. Well, that's well, that's where we are. Again. Thank you, thank yeah, you for your time, man. That was fun. Do we have any sponsors this week?
1: Uh, is it me, me undies or Pepsi or, um, have they signed on yet?
0: I'm, I'm this close to getting Budweiser. Um,
1: okay. All right. Well, that, me should, that, undies. Should, that should work out.
0: That's really funny. Oh, my God. You've been listening to episode two of the Politics and Bros podcast. This was recorded on November 6, 2019. We hope you stop by for the next one. And as always, we're going to the casino. Have a great day. What could possibly go wrong?